Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, before we start, I have some news. The actual documentary, this podcast, is being based off of by the same name, will make its world premiere at the Long Beach International Film Festival this summer. That's right. The documentary I've been directing and producing, 86th, How a Global Pandemic Rocked the World's Culinary Capital, with my friends and colleagues Carl Fernandez, Pete Fiorillo, Christian McLaren, and Grant Thonak, is an official selection to this year's Long Beach International Film Festival on the south shore of Long Island this summer. We won't know until probably early July when and where the film will be shown, but subscribe to this podcast or follow me on social media at Rob Patron TV, and I'll most definitely keep you all in the loop so you can attend. Thanks. The everything has been a lot. And to have like somebody throw his mask at you because uh, he doesn't want to wear it and he doesn't think you're being fair to him. It's not a political thing. It's, it, it's a virus, you know? It doesn't care if you're Republican, Black, White, Chinese, Spanish, de Democratic. Like, it does, they, nobody cares. That, that, the virus does not care, you know? But people make it. If you're a Republican, you don't have to wear the mask. It's crazy. Like, I, I see this stuff on you. I'm like, you guys are idiots. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, but it's the truth. people send you private Facebook messages complaining that uh, that she waited way too long for a cone of ice cream or that your black staff member wasn't grateful enough for the tip that she got. We get like one horrible note or review a day. I feel like Watching this story unfold from a restaurant small business perspective, what I'm noticing is it started off with the the fear of small business owners and that whole palpable sensation of what the hell am I going to do next? And now you see kind of it shifting in, from fear to anger. There's like a lot of anger. These are all people's dreams. These are their livelihoods. It was around this time last year that feelings were definitely changing. That fear we were all feeling at the start of COVID, it didn't necessarily go away. But for many, it was either replaced with or presented itself as anger. Some were angry they had to wear masks in public. Others angry when they saw people not wearing masks while out and about. For those in the restaurant industry, that anger was amplified by challenging work conditions and financial concerns. I'm Rob Patrone. In this latest installment of 86, How a Global Pandemic Rocked the World's Culinary Capital, we explore this anger and how much of it centered around inequality. If you followed the news this time last year, you heard a lot about PPP, 
short for Paycheck Protection Program, a loan created by the federal government in response to COVID-19 that was designed to provide a direct incentive for small businesses to keep their workers on payroll. Small businesses like Jerry DeJesus' North End Tavern in New Rochelle, 25 miles north of Manhattan in suburban Westchester County. But in talking to Jerry and fellow Westchester business owners Dale Taldi of Goosefeather and Joanna Prisco of the Good Witch Coffee Bar last spring, the feelings surrounding this potential lifeline weren't gratitude. They were frustration and anger about the way the money was initially allocated. Yeah, I mean, they really dropped the ball on that one. They dropped the ball on that one on the first round. You know, all these major companies getting these massive amount of money. If you're willing to bail out these airlines and these hedge funds and these, you know, publicly traded companies, you know, I saw right now that the, the, the PPL loans and the small business loans and grants that are like, it's all gone. And a, a majority, and like, you're only allowed to get $10 million and people like, and I'm not hating on these people, but like Ruth Chris, they got $10 million. And it's like, dude, like, I'm not even asking for that. Like, I'm asking for 150 grand just to keep, the, just to keep people paid. But someplace like Ruth Chris, they got that money. And it's like, you know, who, whoever, whoever they have, whoever has, whoever they, whoever's ear they have, of course, you know, these big box, they were the ones who got it. I was both filled with rage and depressed um, about it when I learned that because I just felt like, um, I mean, it's literally, <laughs> it's supposed to be for small businesses. How can you say anything that is greater than 500 employees? You know, it, I mean, or I mean, just under 500. I mean, if you have 499 employees, that's a that's a large company. That's not that's not legitimately a small business. Um, and there are just so many other resources and channels available to companies like that. It was disgusting to to think that they were taking advantage of this money that it, that in you know my belief was supposed to be allotted for people and businesses like my own. One company that initially took advantage of the PPP loan money, the Danny Meyer founded Shake Shack, which spun off from Union Square Hospitality Group and became a publicly traded company in 2015. Shake Shack received $10 million in federal loans through the program, but amid public backlash, announced it was returning the money just days later. Coincidentally, my conversation with Chip Wade, Danny Meyer's number two at Union Square Hospitality Group, occurred the same day Meyer shared publicly that Shake Shack was returning the money. You, you can't uh, withstand the test of time without occasionally slipping and falling. And so I think it's, for me, it's less about the notion of whether or not someone slips and falls. It's really how do they recover? How quickly do they do they get up? And how quickly do they, um, you, I'm going to use a USHG term, how quickly do they put the salt shaker back in the center of the table, right? Which is our, our language for getting, getting uh, the decision right based on the constituents that you serve and the foundation of your value system. 
it's great that they returned it, but time is what's killing all these businesses. Even at a restaurant for at my size, um, where I, I, I want to say I know what I'm doing, um, but there, there's just some hurdles that, that make these programs like hard to, to, um, hard to like fully complete. Wilson Tang of Namwa Tea Parlor in Manhattan's Chinatown. Like the account that I have doesn't have like the, elect- the electronics mm. side of it set up. So it's like, okay, you have to, we have to wait until the next time someone from the office goes in and we'll go scan everything. So like that, I had to wait for a couple of days. And although I have all my applications put in, I don't know where I am on that list where, you know, if you were a big company where you have your internal accounting department, everything is in the digital format and uh, you're a big company and you apply for the stimulus package, you're like already first on the list because you have all your ducks in a row. Um, but you're probably the person that le- needs the money least. We have a lot of exposed nerves. Emotions are, are pretty high right now for a variety of reasons. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. His alleged crime? Using a counterfeit $20 bill. It wasn't the first time in this country a white officer has taken a black man's life, but the video of Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds sparked a public outcry the likes of which we haven't seen in recent memory. I would say as a a black man, uh, watching the video of George Floyd's death um, personally troubled me, angered me, uh, saddened me, um, because I think that the notion of watching someone being murdered but the, the lack of respect for human dig- dignity troubled me and saddened me. Um, and it also made me gravely nervous as I am uh, a dad raising two young men at 21 and 23. I spoke again with Chip Wade on July 13th of 2020. I would also add to that uh, part of my anger is our country has been at this for you know, 400 plus years, right? And I reminded my team, it was just a little over two years ago, there was an incident at a Starbucks in Philadelphia. And so sadly, America and the restaurant industry has not really addressed this issue of diversity and race. And uh, I think we are at a pivotal point in our country, in our industry at USHG, where we absolutely have to address these issues and address these issues with more frank and candid and upfront conversations where people feel vulnerable and open. In a lot of ways, uh, getting involved in in the Black Lives Matter movement is a natural um, step, but it's only because I I don't think that it would be um, authentic for me not to voice my opinions on it. And I don't, I just personally, I couldn't live my, with myself if I didn't 
For the longest time, businesses were expected to stay out of social issues. Joanna Prisco's business model with The Good Witch, however, was different. People who were um, with me since my Kickstarter were aware of um, my feminist leanings. I actually lost my, my last position as a food editor because I participated in the Women's March. And after I posted about it on my personal social media accounts, um, I was asked to remove them or um, have my position terminated. And at that point, that, that was the, the, the shift for me because I didn't feel I could um, be silent anymore personally. I completely understand and I um, respect journalists who maintain that neutrality in um, covering different events, but in my personal life and, and personally moving forward, I just wasn't going to do that. Um, and now that I have my own business, no one can tell me not to. So I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to hope that it can shift the needle a little bit. I don't know if it'll cost me customers, but maybe those were not customers that I necessarily wanted um, coming into my space. So it's okay with me. For Ellen Sledge of Pennylick Ice Cream in Westchester County, the issue of race hits home. Ellen is white, but her husband is Asian. Two of her children are mixed race and one was adopted and is black. We spoke again on June 9th of 2020. I think that yes, I do have a responsibility. I think that future generations of entrepreneurs will not be just entrepreneurs, they will be social entrepreneurs. At the same time, we live in a moment of what I would call hashtag activism. The, the companies with their black boxes and we hear you and we support you and you kind of, you know, as the mom of three minority kids, you want to say, hey, where have you guys been? Okay, it's 2020. Why is this the moment that you are finally going to turn it around? And you worry that it, is this a great moment for change? Or is this performance out, uh, you know, performance allyship? Is there really a hidden apathy behind this? And this is a performance to get clicks and likes and sales and subscribers. I, I've become, half of me is extraordinarily cynical, but mom and pop businesses are much more involved in their local communities, aren't they? They've got the names on the backs of the uniforms. They're donating to the local causes. They show up in a way that big business doesn't. They like to say they do, but they don't. Does it help that, you know, that staff at Union Square Hospitality Group get to see you in this position of power and, that, and what that representation means? I would say yes to no. Um, so yes, uh, I think I'm honored. Uh, I'm humbled and I'm thrilled to be in the role and I'm, I'm moved by the reaction that I often get. The no part is, as someone said to me, Chip, we are so glad that you're in position. But the reality is all of my managers and my front of house managers are white. And so we don't see you every day, Chip. You're, you're a leader in the organization um, and you have a number of responsibilities, but we don't see you every day. What, what, what this person went on to say is what's really going to get me excited is when I can see my, my manager 
or my executive chef or my general manager uh, being um, female Hispanic or an African-American male. I spoke with Dale Taldy for a second time last July. He took the call outside of Goosefeather on a sunny, windy day as outdoor service took place. The weather? Symbolic. A touch of sunny optimism, but a strong headwind to fight through. I mean, what's one more What's one more hurdle we all have to jump, right? I mean, that's what this is, right? It's, it's something I've been dealing with forever. I mean, if you're an immigrant or if you're a person of color in this country, you, you've had to deal with it, you know, whether it was why you knew you didn't get passed up for something or why you knew you didn't get that promotion or if, um, you know, your wage was less than somebody else was, uh, you know, didn't have the same skill set as you. Uh, we've, just, we've just been dealing with it. Um, it's hard. That's why it's important for restaurants to, to be open right now. Because, um, you know, we're trying to push and stand for something, right? If you're wondering why I spent so much time in a podcast episode about how a global pandemic impacted New York's restaurants talking about race, well, the murder of George Floyd, the protests of last summer, those events are forever intertwined with COVID, forever intertwined with 2020 forever remembered as events that left us collectively bubbling over. But also, at the heart of all of this, is inequality. The haves and the have-nots. With our country now coming out of the pandemic and things opening back up, restaurants are having a tough time staffing. Workers not wanting to return to low-wage, high-stress jobs. Many of those workers in New York City are people of color. Meanwhile, small business owners are still scraping to get by, and the rich seemingly get richer. My thanks to Dale Taldy, Ellen Sledge, Joanna Prisco, Chip Wade, Wilson Tang, and Jerry DeJesus, and to everyone you've heard from in these three chapters of 86. If you want more of this story, and there's plenty more, you're going to have to wait until the documentary premieres on the big screen at the Long Beach International Film Festival later this summer. Keep it here for updates on that. And if you want to hear the previous chapters of 86, check them out in the Hot Takes on a Plate archives. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at BLEAV.com. Make sure to subscribe to Hot Takes on a Plate so you never miss an episode. And please leave the show a rating. Five stars, of course. You can follow me on social media at Rob Patron TV. Till next time, I'm Rob Patron. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.